0: Welcome to the Social for Brokers podcast. Today, I actually have someone with me who I've been meaning to get on for a while because there's a lot of people in the industry who know this person. And if you're watching on YouTube, you'll have seen his face already and his branding behind him. Um, And if you are looking, you'll know that it's Daniel Mumford from Grange Mortgages. So Daniel has been in the mortgage industry for about 21 years now. So 2002, because I went LinkedIn stalking on his profile (laughs) earlier to get some notes. But he actually set up Grange Mortgages in 2005 and he started just himself. Now he's at 25 members of staff. So I'm sure everybody wants to hear about exactly how he did it and how he got to this point. But instead of me telling you all about it, Daniel can do it for himself. So, Daniel, welcome to the podcast, mate. Hi, Chris. How are we doing? Your eyes? Yes, I'm very good, thank you. Not too bad at all. Yeah, so Daniel and I went on the Yorkshire Three Peaks, which Pam Brown arranged, and uh, it was quite a tough one, wasn't it?
1: You could say that. Yeah, it was a it was a long, long day, uh, a very rewarding one, but yeah, certainly one that I could feel for the next few days.
0: Yeah, I remember looking at. It got to about ten o'clock at night when we'd all got back, had a shower, got ready for the evening. I remember looking over at Daniel and going, "Mate, I'm going to bed in a minute," and you were like, "I'm exactly the same, mate. I'm going shortly." Yeah. Was was, there,
1: there was many of us that thought like we were going to have a good couple of drinks and celebrate the achievement. But in the reality, I, I think our hearts and heads were saying the opposite and uh, uh, the, the hearts uh, and the time has got the better of us. And most of us called it an early night, didn't we?
0: It was. It, the thing is the night before Daniel made the, executive decision to go to bed at about 10. I remember still having Jaeger bombs at eleven, thinking, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm up at five. We need to call this a night now. So but it was a good it was a good walk, wasn't it? And that's where us two got chatting about business and how you've grown the business. I thought it'd be a perfect opportunity to invite him onto the podcast. So here he is today. So we're gonna start always like to get a bit of a background to every guest and how you got into the industry and how you started Grange mortgages more than anything.
1: Yeah, so I'll condense it because I could probably do a good half an hour just on this. But it was probably actually slightly before the two thousand and two. So I'm a little bit older than that. But I think that was must be where I started the LinkedIn profile. But um I would have been lying. I didn't grow up all through my childhood with the burning ambition or desire to be a mortgage advisor or or go into financial services. It was probably the complete opposite and I wasn't team orientated. It was very much don't want to be office based, I wouldn't be out of the office and uh But on the backdrop, some of that didn't materialise. And uh, without going into a lot of detail, I I think I'd finished A-levels. I'd probably done what most youngsters do in terms of going on one too many trips sort of uh, consecutively to the point that I think my mum probably lost complete uh, um, frustration with me and just sort of said, said, right, I remember phoning back one hand. She's right. You've got an interview when you get home. And I was like, a job interview? And she went, yep. I'm fed up. Are you doing nothing? You need to start earning. You've been on one too many lads' holidays. It's like, yeah, where is it then? And she said, oh, well you're good with money you're good with numbers and maths um there's a there's a job going in the local building society in northamptonshire in mm-hmm. Northampton where i live and i was just like yeah 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 didn't really pay too much attention didn't worry too much well did the interview obviously passed the initial sort of uh i think testing that they did and they said to me oh well, you've applied for a cashier's job but you've got one of the best maths results we've ever we've ever experienced and would you like to do mortgage processing don't even really know what a mortgage is. And just, well, it's a loan. It's attached against the house. And more importantly, it pays about another £700 a year than the job role you went for. And that was it. I was just like, right. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> Done. Job sorted. And I absolutely bloody hated it. Um, Did it you? Horrific, All right. Absolutely horrific. There was no client interaction. There was no selling. Um, the building society I'd worked for had got their fingers severely burnt in the like, early 1990s, late 80s. Uh, obviously, there was a big economic downturn at that point in time, big recession. So when they'd come back into the lending environment, back into the mortgage sector, um, their lending criteria, lending manuals, the doomsday book, as we used to refer to it as, was like war and peace. And it was about four or five inches thick. And you had to memorize that. And it was such a manual process of trying to sign off cases. And I remember joking, it was almost like if you didn't play the correct birthday party game at your fifth or sixth birthday, you didn't get a mortgage. It was that <laughs> Oh, was that strict? Oh, it was. It was horrific. I mean, we look at mortgages now, and we sort of moan if they don't get underwritten and offered within a fortnight. It was. (laughs) It was lucky if you looked at it within a fortnight. It was manual credit checks, manual ID checks, um, employer references, lender references, rental references, of which there was fees to pay. I mean, it, it was just horrific when you compare it to the world that we live in now. And Fortunately for me, I decided to get out very quickly and I, I dropped back downstairs into the branch environment uh, and within not too long, there was a lad that wasn't dissimilar age to myself, was doing his financial advice exams uh, and we sort of got on quite well. And he was like, "When I sort of unofficially become your mentor. You can start mm-hmm. doing the exams. And in the interim, I dropped into what was deemed an unregulated role doing sort of mortgage and investment advice. Um, and that for me was probably one of the most significant turning points. I, I got this nice little frosted glass office in the middle floor. A wasn't really wildly different, but actually meeting customers, liaising, speaking, providing solutions, and and certainly when it comes to sort of being able to put potentially a roof over someone's head or getting that next step on that housing ladder journey was so rewarding. Mm. Um, I, and I never really looked back. I. I went around the houses a little bit after that I, I didn't stay too much longer at that particular entity just because at that point in time a lot of building societies were going through restructuring they were going through this turning to plc's there was a lot of cost, cut, cost cutting and unfortunately a lot of branches were getting closed so i decided to try and broaden my horizons a little bit jumped for a couple of bits i went to work for and try not to mention some names but i started bristol and west I then jumped to AXA for a little bit, AXA Sun Life again, but it was very much admin orientated, but it was going down more of a regulated route of regulated investments, pensions, and that side. And it was fine. But again, as soon as I deviated back away from that lack of client contact, Mm -hmm. my level of enjoyment within the job role massively nosedived as well at the same point. So I, I think I was starting to realize that client engagement Necessarily the sales side itself, albeit that that obviously came hand in hand with it and needed that sense of achievement in the job role. Um uh, well, I'm trying to where I went from there. And then I I ended up at Connells, um, did a little bit of doing okay. FS within Connells. Fantastic training, a bit. I was unique. So going in actually with some experience in the mortgage-broking world into the state age environment actually is is not the norm. It's actually quite the opposite. I think I was in a yeah. room with people that had sold cars, Hoovers. You name it, but they they didn't even know what a mortgage was. But actually, their training was really, really good. Not necessarily. You tend to find the
0: big the big corporates. The training is in. I, I was trained at countrywide in the estate agency world, and, and it is phenomenal. That's why they built a name for themselves because of the training, isn't it? Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, and as I said, you, you couldn't knock them for it. I think mm. they had a slightly restrictive role because, of course, when it got to things like insurances, quite prohibitive, mm. maybe one panel provider, you you didn't have autonomy to, for the full marketplace. And I think naturally at that point, I sort of felt like my next step was moving into a job role where I wasn't on a panel of 10 or 15 because I always felt like, well, when was, was I losing my opportunities that I couldn't convert? And someone would obviously rock up into the estate agent and, and then chat to them and they'd go, well, I'm using X. And you would go, oh, God. And then you look at it, you try and beat it and you just knew that you didn't have Mm. access to that particular provider. So it became a little bit frustrating. And I suppose you said we're all looking for that next step on our journey of how do you sort of grow in the role you're in. So um, my final leap before actually setting up Grange was I went to work for a a new build specialist firm based out in uh, the Midlands. And so numerous new build relationships, which. So I'm sure as this story goes on, that's probably one of our calls to my journey okay. in terms of introducers. Um, but it was very much almost like a self-employed role. So it was a great stepping stone. And again, at the time, I didn't realize the, the significance of it, but there was no basic salary. We provided our own mobile. We worked from home. And they literally furnish you with a, with a region. So it was like a division of opportunities. And your job role was to convert those opportunities. And if you were horrendous, you earned zip. And if you were pretty mm. good at it, you'd earn a decent living. Uh, and obviously they were making um, making obviously an income off the back of that. Uh, and I did it for a couple of years and was reasonably successful. At it. But to the point, I think I eventually got to where I was going, there is no next step of this apart from moving outside of the environment. And, I, and this would have been sort of circa end of 2004. So for any of them, anybody's been in that industry long enough, you remember that November that year was the introduction of mortgage regulation or mortgage M-Day. And I think we all thought the, the world was nigh. It was like suitability letters. We actually had to do found fines and stuff again. <laughs> now you just—how the heck did you ever exist without that—that that level of transparency? But it was—it was quite a big thing at that point in time. And that's sort of the—that's the era of when networks started to come into the mortgage world. So there was a lot more regulation, and it was either you're going to go DA and you're going to have to have that internal regulation, or you go with a network and they take over a lot of that responsibility. And the firm I was with at that point in time. I decided to go down some of the network, the AR route. Um, so it meant a significant level of change, and I was just like, "This is phenomenal." There's now a network that's going to be taking a cut of obviously the income that I generate. I've got the firm that I'm affiliated to that's taking a cut, and actually, I'm I'm the one that's doing 99.9% of the work, and all of a sudden, within the space of a month, I'm probably going to be doing double the work for probably 70% of the pay. And it was just like, if I don't step out of this environment. When am I ever going to do it? There's probably mm. no better catalyst with all of that legislation change, change of going into a network, uh, and that was the point. I think I, I got to the Christmas. I knew I had a reasonably healthy paycheck coming because in the new build environment, December was either half year or four year financial end. So oh, okay. there was a peak of there was a peak of activity of completions and proc fees coming through, and I thought, right, this this could be the starting point, the stepping stone. I need to just subsidise myself a little bit to make that transition and, and basically branch out on my own and go my own way. So um, in the January, I handed my notice in. And then by the March, I'd signed up and connected with the network that we're still now affiliated to um, okay. and decided to set up uh, Grange Mortgages or Grange Mortgage and Protection Services. It is.
0: So a bit of a background there. So you've been through quite a lot. You've worked in building societies, in the estate agency world, the new build world. What was that feeling like when you launched Grange? Now you're on your own, and you sat there the first day. What was your? Because there's a lot of people that will have been through that, and maybe not spoken to other people that have done the same. So, what were you feeling? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you can't lie. I mean, there was an element
1: of probably youthful optimism. So, so right. say, It was a long time ago. We're talking 18 years ago. Probably naive optimism because I was the only uh, earner in my household. I think I had one child, one on the way. So there, yes. there was a, an awful lot riding on it. But as much as there was a huge level of fear and sort of anticipation about what it might hold and the risk, I was still reasonably optimistic. And I I never really went into it with the mindset that there was any doubt that it would fail. I never believed that it would have got to the stage of where it's now. It was it was more about, could I earn the, the equivalent level? Could I get a better work-life balance? Um, and would I have more control over my own destiny? And, and I felt that sort of, answer to all of those main points but yes i look back now and think how the heck did you ever make that decision but Mm. again i i knew that i was competent in the job i was doing i was quite confident that i could attract enough clients and retain those clients to again make the level of of earnings that i was getting previously which again that's the nice thing when you do go self-employed and you take away that sort of employer or that network bit and you remove some of those costs You don't necessarily need to be generating the level of business you were previously to actually be coming out of the same level in your back pocket at the end of every month. So I was mildly confident. But as I said, it it would have been without a doubt that I look back and think there was a there was a huge, huge level of uh, responsibility to make sure it succeeded at that point in time.
0: And obviously it has succeeded because you're sat there now, Grange Mortgages. Can you give us a bit of an insight? So we fast forward what, 2005, so 17 years, what, 18 years now? 18 years, yeah. Fast forward 18 years, what kind of numbers are you guys doing now? How many mortgages are you looking per month? What What do you guys do? I mean, like anybody,
1: we don't sit there and I wish it was an even keel every single month and there was no variation. But, I mean, it's not been unknown for us to get up to 200 mortgages, 150s, wow. an average an average month, and probably one at the moment we're sitting there, and i 'd be going, "I think we could do better here's the reality, mm-hmm. but you don 't start off like that, you start off with fours
0: and fives, yeah and yeah, I'm- you start off with the lower numbers, but it 's just amazing to see you grow to that and how what do you think and this is really hard because I was speaking to to Dan about this before the podcast started dan 's really quite humble, and I found that when we was on this walk' like you've built this incredible business. And he's just like, well, I've built it. It's just it's just happened almost. That's how you feel. But what things have you put in place to make that happen?
1: Yeah, I mean I I think when you start off and it is worth probably starting close to the beginning. Because obviously you said you don 't you don 't go from a few mortgages to two hundred overnight, and as you said that it, 's taken a long long time and maybe longer than some other people out there, and probably because there were other objectives on the route that we had to remain profitable, as I said there wasn't there was no safety nets mm-hmm. for me, there was no fallbacks, there was no partners which some people's eyes makes another good point yeah probably from my point of view it actually probably worked better for me because it didn't give me any excuses there was no i can't work this week Uh, if it doesn't make money next month don't worry i'll go to it next month It, it almost kept you on your toes and proactive enough so yes there was an awful lot of work but i think some of the principles that we started the business with are still really true today even all that time forward is i sort of said well if I put myself in my consumer's shoes, so what do my customers want out of what we deliver? And I, I looked at sort of the UK as a whole, and it was like, we're not good with customer service. If you go abroad, you look at other, other nationalities, their expectations with all cons- customer service, whether it be financial services that we work in or when you walk into a restaurant, their expectations are much higher. I think in the UK, we're not good at delivering even an average level, let alone the bells yeah. and whistles level. So we started off with basics of Could we do the core things right? So if we promised a phone call, would we do a phone call? And if we gave a time, we committed to the time. And we just literally did all of the simple, basic day-to-day things. And we just did them well. I wouldn't even say we did them always really well. But some of just super simplistic. And if you didn't have an answer, you'd guaranteed someone a call within half an hour. You'd ring them in half an hour and say, I haven't forgotten about you. This is the reason why I haven't. But I haven't forgotten you. And the customer would go, I really appreciate that. And what I'll do is I'll come back to you tomorrow morning or I'll do this. And as long as you committed to it and actually doing those things really well, but on a consistent basis. And I think that's again, that's really important that you can't sit there and say, well, I'm going to have this process but I'm going to do it on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I'm going to get a bit mm. bored and do something different. And on Wednesday, I'm going to be down the pub. And on Thursday, I'll be playing golf. And those clients, you just, we, we just had to do it time and time again. And actually by doing that, the customers that we won and we found became really loyal customers. And they mm. actually then give us a lot of repeat business. But those customers then became big advocates and huge fans of what we did. And then they bought the friends and family. And I'm well, and we didn't have to really proactively push it. I'd always say, look, if you like what we do, please tell people about it. But I wasn't one of these that wouldn't leave their living room if they didn't give me free names and addresses. And, and maybe we could have grown even quicker if we'd done that. And the clients seemed to like us and maybe we we could have grown a little bit. I was probably a little bit more coy and reserved at that point in time. And I didn't want to sort of rock the boat too quickly and jeopardize losing their business. There was probably a little bit of a fear factor, but they did bring friends and family with us and they became big advocates. And to the point they would regularly be ringing and can we introduce this person? And I've got this work colleague. And, and actually we all said, look, if we keep the clients that we retain, because finding a new client in this sector is probably the hardest thing in the world. You can be the best broker in the world, but if you've got no one to speak to you've not got that next client, you, you don't make a living. Mm-hmm. You don't grow particularly quickly, but it was like, if we can keep topping up and we don't lose anybody out at the bottom end of this, actually we've got a business model here that's growing. It's just then the case of how quick do we decide we want to grow. And and actually we won introducers by having exactly the same approach that yeah, we did put ourselves out there. I went back to a few of the companies that I'd worked with back under employed days. Obviously, I had to be very careful not to land them in hot water. But again, I think we, we just we took that leap of faith and we said, this is what we're doing, this is who I am. It, you liked what I provided for you historically. If the opportunity arises and you've got an issue or something's not working out, or you want to look at something new. Just make sure I'm your first your first point of contact. First Give point. me first refusal. Uh, and within not too long, one of those builders came back to me with some of the individuals and gonna, we're jumping ship. We're moving to another new homes developer. It's a brand new division. Would you like the opportunity to work with us? Um, and again, at that point in time, I was literally I was coming up to sort of anniversary one, still working out in my back bedroom. Not in a shirt and tie, much more casual attire, and I'm not going to repeat exactly what I wear because it wasn't a lot because there was no one else around. So, <laughs> um, but
0: the naked mortgage advice. Yeah, well, I, know,
1: I was a little, I was a little bit more on that. I think we had a dog, so you have to be a bit careful. But, <laughs> but. Uh... But no, it was comfortable attire. It was very relaxed. And this is pre-COVID. But yeah, we didn't have Zoom. So you didn't have to worry about just wearing on the top half either. But yeah, it was just, it was relaxed. It was chilled out. And But I think what we'd realized very quickly at that point in time is when you see an opportunity, you, you can go two ways. You can you can look for all the excuses and reasons why it wouldn't work. Or you mm-hmm. could just embrace it. And I think it was Richard Branson said, if you see the opportunity, just say yes. And then you learn how to deal with it afterwards. Yeah, I like and, like it was, and it was, and it was, it was a really big one. As a, we were, I was a sole trader with no admin support, no other advisors. Uh, and they said, "Would you be interested?" And I knew this would be a seven day a week, no respite, no breaks, no holidays mm. for the foreseeable if we were to take it on. But I just thought, you know what? W- where do you go as an individual if you want to continue growing? It's like this is this is supercharging my new leads that are coming in instead of me having just to work with the existing clients or going out proactively a little bit of local newsletters this is now ready-made hot leads good profitable business there's no payaways and they're telling their customers they should come and use me because i'm a good guy and i know what i'm doing and i can be helping them into that next age of, of home ownership so yeah within 24 hours i just bit the bullet i'd organized a meal oh, for fun. all 10 of their new staff i'd tapped up my mother-in-law because oh, yeah. i knew she wanted a part-time job and i said you fancy just coming working for me part-time I think I brought the, the wife along at the time just to make the headcount look a little bit more impressive. So I wasn't outnumbered. And then they rung me an hour before and said, oh, we haven't got a conveyancer on board for the new division. Do you know anybody? I think I just remortgaged. So I was straight on the phone to the lady I'd used to do the conveyance. And I got on with her quite well. I said, Cheryl, how do you fancy coming along? Three mil tonight on me. The potential is that you might become the preferred conveyancer for this new um, builders division that we might be working with. I think the following day before we got to 10 o'clock, the sales director had rung me and said, Dan, it was fantastic. Love what you did. You threw yourself into it. Yep, we're on board. The two girls that have worked with you historically, I began for so that's good enough for me. Um, and it uh-huh. went from there. Oh, wicked. Um, and they didn't stop working for about the next six months. Um, really? You just days did it a week. solid. Oh, I'd go around Sainsbury's or Tesco's on a Sunday afternoon. And again, this is, you can tell the timing of this is like, I wasn't particularly sort of au fait with iPads and stuff like that. And they were in early development days, So I literally carried a pen and paper and a notepad. I'm a mobile every single where I went. And it wasn't unknown that I would be sat in the fridge and freezer aisle, sat on the edge of the fridge, freezing my backside off, taking down a customer's telephone number to ring about a potential mortgage inquiry of, of how we could help them aspire and get this uh, this new home that someone had referred my details on. Um, And that yeah. sort of really was the sort of beginning of the introducer stage. Of then building the business. And it sort of went from strength to strength. But say, with those same core principles Principles. embedded in every single new team member that came on board, was look, this is how we're going to do it. This is what the expectations are. No bells and whistles, but no real barriers to entry. Do a good job. You'll keep the introducer happy, which is the big client. And then actually, the end customer facing will become a client for life. And hopefully, they'll bring their network of friends and family with them. And that's how you'll continue to grow and you'll help grow the business. But more importantly, you'll grow yourself and you almost have a business within a business. Um, and again, you, you, I know you said you've looked on our website earlier, you've seen some of the team. You will also have seen quite a few of those team members have been with Grange for an awful long period of time because I'm, I'm hoping. And the fact that they they haven't voted and talked with their feet, they've not left because they're happy in what they're doing. But they're also growing with their job role with without having to wait for people to resign, move on, without Mm. having to wait for red tape, because they also get the opportunity to grow within that job role. And it it keeps them committed, which is good for their clients, good for them. And, And ultimately, as you've seen it, it's good for us as a company.
0: I want to talk about the staff shortly, about how you hire good staff and everything. But just listening to you then chat about everything there, I love the way that you've got these stories about the growth of the company. And I think it really resonates with people like the first story when they phone you up and say, we want you to help with the mortgage. You arrange a meal and you remember that meal when your wife came along and your mother-in-law came along and the conveyance came along. And then the next story about you taking phone calls in the middle of Sainsbury's smell, Kyle. It's those kind of things that your whole business is built on because you did things right at the beginning. The meal was all about just being a general just being a uh like an individual being somebody that's genuine, and then the one in the the one in Sainsbury shows that you've got to work really hard if you want to if you've got that opportunity, you could have easily said no i've got you know what no. i mean i i can't I can't do seven days a week for the next six months i can't but you were like, no, no, let's do it, and then I will work out a way of how to work it. I just love that I think that's that's and I think. Some people look for a magic answer. And I spoke to you about this before we came on the podcast. (laughs) What is it that make Grains so successful? And you're saying, well, it's not one thing. It's things I did 20 years ago that laid the foundations and the core principles for the growth. And this leads me perfectly onto the staff side of things. You were all about growing. You're talking about your staff. At what point did you know you needed to hire staff? Because a lot of people are in that limbo at the moment. And how do you find good staff?
1: I think in terms of staff, I mean, I said right at the start in terms of how I got into the sector that it wasn't a childhood ambition. I was very much into sport and even though I love team sports, there was an element I liked that accountability that rested on my shoulders. And I wasn't necessarily ready for a long time to get into the point of having that extra responsibility in my shop was to be sort of taking and guiding the team with me but I think I'd got to almost about the end of year one so I'd, I'd taken on this this new build relationship and for as much as it was really working and there was obviously record levels of new business coming in and I'd made those sacrifices so I'd, I'd missed weddings i would missed christenings I've sacrificed birthdays as you said this was a seven-day proposition and mm. the nipping down to Sainsbury's was a break for as much as I was sat in the fridge mm-hmm. and freezer taking phone calls um but you get to a point of going, well where does this go where do, what's the next step for this? And you realize there's only seven days in a week and there 's only twenty four hours in a day is so you 're sitting there and going, well, unless I start cherry picking clients and we 're not quite at that stage yet. How am I ever going to earn more, and how am I ever going to get a bit of a life back? so I think it, it very quickly dawned on me. It was like, well, the only way I can continue to be grow and make money and get a bit of life i 'm going to need to have people of a certain caliber that are going to come on this journey with me that we we put these foundations in place but actually now all of a sudden the opportunity is not an opportunity for one it could be two it could be three and, and we didn't we didn't go gun hover it wasn't all guns blazing. it was relatively steady as the as the business activities increased but I think that again when I look at it and you said about this magic answer there wasn't a jackpot of money there to me to dig into to go and fund and say we're going to put 10 staff in it was we built it to a point where there was enough for one extra member of staff so all we did was just tiny baby steps as we said oh, I, I brought a I put my mother-in-law in as a, a part-time administrator then we went to two part-time administrators which dovetailed to form one full-time admin oh, role. Man. so i didn't need to be writing 30 40 mortgages a month we just needed to have the foresight of going well actually do we need the extra support yes we do because If I don't bring, let's say, an admin person in who's doing all the phone calls to the lenders, who's doing all the phone calls to the introducers, could I be writing business, which is more income generating and more profitable than potentially having someone doing sort of, should we say, activities that I could easily obviously sort of uh, Mm -hmm. uh, pigeonhole out to other people. And then we did the same and then we brought in another member of staff. But again, with those same principles. Um, and again, I would be lying if I told you we got employment right or recruitment right right from the word go. Even now, I've brought people into the business that have got much better skill sets and experience levels for recruitment. But the one thing we did get lucky with at the outset, and I looked at it, it's like, if I'm trusting these people with these clients, these introducers, they've got to still be core to my beliefs. They've got to work in a similar fashion. Um, and motivation, I think, is probably one of the biggest things um i've looked at cvs whether you think some of these should be individuals should be running for prime minister's roles or presidency roles and they're they're the most qualified individuals and actually in reality you put them in a chair and they can't do a job for toffee so i've always taken a view as if they've got good people skills they can interact engage and they've got a level of motivation you can give people experience you can give them skills you can train those bits but you can't give people motivation that comes from within and if mm. they've got a good level of motivation and desire and they want to apply themselves and they've got a good work ethic, they can become really successful with whatever they set their mind to. Um
0: and where, and again, where do you find these kind of people with the motivation? Because I know that's a struggle for a lot of people. Yeah, they don't I mean, know where to look.
1: God, we've over the years, we've we've got lots of different sources. I mean, we've tried taking people completely out of the sector and we've trained them up from scratch, we've gone to a state agency. Uh, we have used recruitment companies we tend to try and steer clear of those now, albeit we've got some good, reliable ones within our network where they do a lot of the sort of pre vetting, go through some of the stuff that you wouldn't necessarily want to be doing. So they do the CV vetting, basic testing, look at levels of experience. And again, and our, and even within that now, as I said, we've, we're fortunate enough over the years that we've got individuals in the business that I would go, look, you speak to X they're used to recruiting they're used to going through the right questioning and again i think in probably the early years i put my hand up and say we didn't always get it right because the sales in me come out and I, I i always found recruitment i would end up selling the benefit and selling the company to the individual as if like i was selling a product and actually that wasn't the right way to recruit you do need to do a little bit of that of wetting someone's appetite of why they should join but actually it should be equally balanced if not more balanced of why should they come with you? Why should we want that individual? They should want to come and work for us because I can tell you now: if you sell someone your business and they're not really engaged, and they come in because you've sold it, but they're not really committed to being there, and they they don't want to work towards the same end goal, it doesn't last very long. In, so you do you have say, to kiss a few frogs sometimes to, to, to find get, your find your prince.
0: I find that interesting. You say like you flipped it from you saying why they should join. But then, really flipping it and putting it a bit of emphasis is why should they join? Why, why
1: should, should they, as them? a
0: person, be able to join Grange Mortgages? Yeah, and it's an interesting, interesting one, and I
1: I found there was a lot of people that were in a similar boat. As I said,
0: I've never done the podcast interview
1: like this, but you do over the years get people sort of asking about the recruitment piece, especially when it's the early days and it's a mm. really new concept. And it's the one thing I would say to anybody is. Got to get that balance right. There's enough for to wet an appetite, but it's you've got to find out more about why that person should be working for you. What experience they bring? What mm. what is it they're going to add? And then it's what can you add to them? And what can as a combined entity? But they've got to want to be with you, mm-hmm. as I said. And it, and it doesn't work the other way around when it's completely one-sided. Which is the same in any relationship. It's got to be a joint effort.
0: So we've got the core principles. We've set up the company. You've now started to hire staff. Okay, and now you're at the level as you are now where did the majority not just the majority of your leads but what sources do your leads come from
1: so uh, we've always been in, in the new build space as a sort of i uh, was our core of our introductions and that's not necessarily by design, but I think that we give ourselves very high expectations. And for anybody that's ever done any work within the new build arena, you, you'll understand very quickly. Their expectations are super high. Uh, you have the oh, Spanish right. that will say manana and it's the tomorrow. And I always joke and go, New but the opposite. Yesterday isn't quick enough. And right. that's the that's the principle you have to put in place that you're super responsive, super quick, super accurate. It is one of those you can do one mortgage wrong out of a thousand. And it's the one that you get wrong. You're remembered by. But the, mm-hmm. the benefit and the upside of that is if you can build a business model that can adhere to that and deliver it on a on a seven day a week basis, which is what we've done for many, many years. So as time's gone on, and lots of Amazon and Internet shopping where everything's accessible, we've always tried to make our business and mortgage and insurance proposition equally accessible. We've done really well out of it. Um, and that, and that's how it's gone. So new build has been one um, and new build is very insular, So a lot of people do go from one entity to another. And I think, again, the relationships have been strong enough in those situations. We've had t- team members that have gone on and they've taken us with us onto their new relationship. And we've, we've grown and picked up there. But but equally so, we've done an awful lot with the client bank. As I said, if you go back to day one, we always said that initial client was the hardest entity to get. And if you looked after that one client, you never lost them. But mm-hmm. worse, you were going to be at one. Then whatever you added to that was growth. So we've always cherished. Uh, that existing client bank. So we've always been very good with ongoing client contacts, servicing that one. We we don't leave our clients for two years and wait for the fixed rate to come up and then reach out and then wonder why they can't remember who we are. We're regularly with means of marketing, some social media, newsletters, periodic texts, of just trying to add value to that client relationship, but even at worst, just trying to keep our brand and our relationship sort of in their mind. So when we are reaching out with a justified reason, It's not that bolt from the blue of who are you? What did you do? Oh, you only want to know when there's business on the table. You didn't want to know me during the middle of COVID. It's a no, we know you. We know what you've done. We know the value add. We trust you. We are their go-to and we pick up that repeat business. So the the existing client bank is always core and centric to what we do. It's just about how do we regularly continue top up that client bank. So we're always moving in that positive direction.
0: And that's it sounds you've done that from day one. You've always said, look after the ones that you've got in the hope that they will refer you. But even if you don't generate any more business, you've still got that client full of people. And what, you, what was interesting is you want to keep reminding them of your brand. And that's what you do on social media, don't you? You're consistent with your posting, your branded posts. You're making sure that when somebody picks up the phone to your client from your company, they remember who Grange is. And that bit might be that they've seen... Ten social media posts over the last two years on social media or they've had an email land in their inbox or they've had some kind of contact over the last two years. So when you phone up, as you say, it's not who are you. It's like Ah Grange. And it's that familiar, familiarity, isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. And it, it's a trust. Uh, and, mm. and again,
0: I've, I've got slightly different viewpoints. So I, I said,
1: again, nearer the start, I did a little bit, and some of my core sort of professional qualifications were financial advisor exams rather than mortgage exams. And it was quite interesting that found in the mortgage world, when I first joined it, it felt very transactional. Whereas right. actually, in the financial advice world, maybe because you were investing your money, so there was an element of trust with the advisor. You would you put your investment or your life savings in your pension, and, and you really had to trust the advisor. But then there was a lot of it's a much more relationship driven with that rather than transaction. You really had to trust that advisor, mm. but then you wouldn't go to another advisor. You wouldn't put your nest egg of your life savings or your pension with one guy, and then two years later, jump into bed with another advisor because that trust still existed, but you had to earn the trust. And within our model, we wanted it to be the same. So we keep the same advisors on, on the repeat mortgages. Again, it flies in the face of what some other firms do, but actually we always said, as long as... The brand was really strong and that individual was fronting on behalf of the brand that you could get away with that. And when you get to the second transaction, the third transaction, you would pick up the phone to those advisors and they would go, I would never go anywhere else because I trust Grange and I trust what you've done multiple times before. And yeah, sometimes it was with, most times it was with the same individual, but that just Made the process so a lot simpler. But as you said, social media, marketing, we had to move with the times. They didn't exist when we first we first mm-hmm. obviously set up back in 2005. Um, and social media is a really cost effective and very quick way to on a consistent basis, get that brand and the messages out to your client bank, but also to, to new prospective clients as
0: well yeah it's it's about growing the business as well as keeping those people informed. I like the way that you keep the same broker with the cases and that's testament to you as a company that those brokers are still there. There's so much stuff we've been through there I mean we've been chatting for over half an hour now about the company that's it's so incredible and I'm going to talk to you shortly about, if you were to start all over again, what you'd do. But before we get into the strategy question, we like to donate £10 to a charity of your choice for saying thank you for coming on. Which charity did you want us to make the donation to? Uh,
1: If we could do cancer research, I mean, I think like many people, I've I've had a couple of family members that have been personally uh, affected and, and by themselves, but also... Um, as I said, I spent most of our time or a big portion of our time trying to protect our, our clients mm-hmm. in regards to getting criticalness and cancer being one of them. I think that feels uh, quite a relevant um, one to select. So, yeah, that would be lovely,
0: Chris. Perfect. We'll make the donation. Right. So let's get into the strategy question. So we're going to pretend that you've moved to the north of Scotland. You've got a laptop, a mobile phone and an Internet connection. What would you do to start generating new mortgage business?
1: i do something completely different because obviously you, oh, you've, okay. you've, put, you've, put a, you've put a geographical boundary in place and I also <laughs> think the world has changed quite significantly from when yep. we started 18 years ago. So one of the things that we've never done, obviously we've talked a little bit about social media and, and obviously how the world changed. The internet I think is extremely powerful. This now is the most important medium or tool that you're going to get access to and obviously I've not got the scope of going into my local village or estate agent and probably touting my services. So I would probably do more industry commentary. Um, And I think historically, I've probably, like many people, I've been a little bit shy in terms of one point myself forward. But I also think there's too many people that do commentary within the financial services sector and sit on the fence. And they're very reserved about, obviously, the way they deliver that communication. And I think, again, there's many people you allude to that go, well, what's your interpretation of financial services? And maybe it's a bit starchy, maybe it's a bit bitch we say old man gray suit whereas i actually think most people when it now comes to this sector they want something a little bit more real and a little bit more approachable so i think we we would be anything but on the fence i think it would be sort of my image would be almost of a a real life proper down to earth human commentary in terms of what you need to know what's going on what's hype what's the media really spinning versus Mm -hmm. what do you need to be concerned with and it would make it a bit more nichey but I don't think at this point in time now I'd be too bothered where I offended with people with being a bit too frank. I, I think it would probably come across hopefully as more relatable, where especially obviously the younger generation would probably engage in that a little bit more. And I think if you're frank and you're real and you tell people what they want and not a fluffed up version of trying to sort of dilute a message and confuse someone with really technical language, because aren't I clever because we've done a few professional exams. I think that actually would have a level of connection with people. So, uh, as I said, then the geographical element doesn't become a uh, doesn't become a Massive problem. And, and we've seen that how many people when you put videos out there, how, how far does that message, how far and why can that travel? So, the fact that you've got a lovely scenery out your window up in North Scotland now is not a problem. Actually, is a bonus. Uh, and if you spend a nice a few videos hours on laptop the back. and put in some lovely. Yeah, what a backdrop! I I, I struggled to try and find someone that was a little bit more engaging as a backdrop for this one. Um, I was hoping to do it in the front room, looking out into the garden, but as I told you about some car issues earlier, that wasn't to be. So, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I think it becomes That's, different. And now, now all of a sudden, it's something enjoyable. You're sharing your knowledge and your wealth, and and I think if you do that and you give, people will receive that. And I think then obviously you get people that want to engage and they want to they want to obviously benefit from your experience and expertise in that in that particular marketplace
0: and that's a really interesting nobody has ever given that answer in 70 odd episodes of us interviewing people they've never given that that answer of being like an industry professional and i love it because like you said don't sit on the fence go do you know what i mean go polar whichever way you're going to go go full in lean into it and like you said if you go into that niche the people who want to drop a negative comment something you're never going to land those as a client and you probably never want to work with that person anyway yet the people that buy into it for example pierce morgan you either love him or you hate him the people that love him are his biggest fans and he's not worried about the people that aren't going to watch him because he's got enough of the biggest fans that's how i would Kind of analyse that that the people. Yeah, that you, I mean, and an it's an addicted.
1: extreme one. I mean, but as yeah. you said that he, he, we're not talking about sitting there and abusing people within the sector, but I think no, it's no, just no, about being, about being frank and being honest. And I think in in past even now sometimes I think you sit there and everybody's working on tent hooks about offending someone or or being too graphic or too frank and actually do you actually get anybody that really engages because you're trying to keep everybody happy, of being really plutonic and really middle of the road and and mm-hmm. actually it doesn't get a lot of traction at all because you're not funny it's not engaging you don't learn and well, whereas with look, this you might turn a few people off but you probably get a few people that would
0: really like that particular style Exactly. If you think, like, I've seen a few of these, um, like, Just Stop Oil videos, and whatever, I'm not going to get into views or anything on here, but say there's Just Stop Oil as a movement and there's another protester called the John Smith Brigade who are against environmental. Just Stop Oil have gone to the lengths of the earth to cause as much disruption as possible. And whether you agree with it or you don't, dis- you don't agree with it, they are being noticed by the media because they, they're they going to the extremes. And I'm not telling mortgage advisors to go and paint the Bank of England red or something in their colours, but they're the ones that are getting noticed because they've gone so far one way, haven't they? Whereas the people that are talking, you know what I mean, have a smaller voice. They're not getting noticed, even though they're doing it in a way that they feel is right, that the people at Just Stop Oil probably feel the way that they're doing it is right. But I'm not going to get into a political debate on here. But do you see what I mean? By going so far and so polar, they're actually getting recognized, whether it be for good or for bad, their name is out there. And by doing that in like video format and talking, not sitting on the fence, you could get noticed for your business, couldn't you?
1: I think there's a really good potential chance with it. And like you said, maybe I'm in a slightly different position now where I don't need to be sat on the fence a little bit more trying to feel like I've like got yeah, people, please. Uh, and, and so that isn't necessarily one for everybody, but I, I'm sure there's still scope that you could find, a, find an angle for that and I'm sure that you'd get some traction with that.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, Dan, I have taken up nearly 45 minutes of your time talking about range mortgages how you've got to the point where you are now and i know a lot of people are really going to enjoy this episode because we were talking this is the first time you've been on a podcast isn't it it is <laughs> yeah so guys this is the recording of dan doing his first podcast rewind it go and take notes and i'm sure if anybody wants to get in contact with you where's the best place that they can reach out to you dan um you'll find me on linkedin reach
1: out and drop me a message and uh, i'll gladly uh, share with whatever wisdom or information that i've got so yeah absolute pleasure, Chris.
0: Thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate it. So thank you very much for listening. If you feel this podcast brought you any value at all, I'd be extremely grateful if you could leave me a review on the podcast, little five stars, and subscribe to keep you up to date with all future episodes. We can also connect on social, so you can get me on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, all with the handle Social for Brokers. Look forward to hearing from you and connecting with you all.